Pastor Chris's podcast. One of the most cherished words in the world today is also one of the most misunderstood and misused words, and it is love. In 1965, Debbie DeShannon sang, What the world needs today is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. That's a pretty good song and a pretty good sentiment as well. I do believe that love would solve the majority of the problems we see in our world if we could just learn to love one another. This is the biblical message of the Christian faith. However, the love that really will change the world for the better must be the true kind of love that's defined in Scripture. The kind of love that Jesus demonstrated that is the core of God's character. In this message series that we're going to look at together over the next several weeks, I want to study the elements of true love. Biblical love, the kind of love that God has for us and that we are called to have for God and also for one another. True love, the kind of God that, love that God offers and that the world needs now, is clearly defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. You are probably familiar with this passage. It's a very famous passage in Scripture. And it's often read at weddings to teach newlyweds how to love one another as they begin their life of marriage together. But this passage was not originally intended for weddings. The Apostle Paul wrote this passage to reprimand the Corinthian church for all of their bickering and division and strife to teach them how they were really supposed to treat one another with love and what that love looks like. And so Paul wrote this letter and this part of that letter. When I think about how divided our world is today, how we argue with one another over politics and vaccinations and wearing masks or not wearing masks and all of these other things, I think that these words about love are something that we need to hear more than ever. What the world needs now is love. Sweet love. If there's one thing that there's just too little of, that's what it is. But the kind of love we need is written in God's word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. So let's hear these words for us today. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. Today, I want to focus on only the first part of the first sentence of that first verse. Love is patient. Patience is the ability to tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting upset or angry. True patience means having a good, loving attitude, even in the midst of delay, trouble, or suffering. It is a very weak and feeble patience that is constantly complaining and crying, woe is me, the whole time 
it has to endure. That's not really patience, is it? Patience is the one that stays positive and stays loving and stays caring in the midst of troubles. A person with real patience has a good, positive attitude while they endure. Patience is an essential element of real Christian love. It is the, it is the patience that Jesus demonstrated on the cross of Calvary while he endured the suffering and shame of the crucifixion. And yet, as the angry crowd stood around mocking him and spitting on him, Jesus prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It is because God is love, and love is patience. That is why when God hung upon the cross... He could pray for those who hung him there. Jesus told a parable about God's patient, unconditional love. And I want to share that with you again today and make some comments as we go through it. This is found in the 15th chapter of Luke. It is the famous parable of the prodigal son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now here is the father and he demonstrates tremendous patience with his son. His son has basically said something so disrespectful and so hateful. He has basically told his father, you know, I can't wait for the day that you die and I get the inheritance because then I'm going to be out of here. And rather than waiting for you to die, why don't you just go ahead and give me whatever you were going to give me when I died. Why don't you just go ahead and give it to me now and I'll be on a jet plane and I don't know when I'll be back again. I'll be out of here. And what a terrible thing to say to your father. This son doesn't see his father as a dad. He doesn't even really see him as a human being. He simply sees his father as a means to an end. He doesn't care about his father as a person. He only cares about what his father can do for him. His father has all of these resources and this money. And he really just wished that his father was dead so that he could have the resources. So he didn't have to go through his father anymore to get what he wants. And his father's patient with him. Just like God is patient with us. Right now, God is demonstrating extreme levels of patience with people. Right now, I feel like God, that I feel like people simply are not focused on God. We don't really care about God. Going to church is, is not really a priority for people in our country today. You know, I think about Christians that are living in Afghanistan now that the, the military is pulled out and there are Christians that are living there who literally, because they believe in Jesus Christ, their life 
is in danger simply because they say they believe in Jesus and will worship him and no other. And while Christians in Afghanistan are experiencing that, Christians in America can't even decide if we want to go to church on Sunday because there might be something else that we want to do. Even among Christians, people are not very interested in God. God is not the first priority in people's life. He's not even the second or the third. He's, far much, he's much farther down the list. Maybe I'll go to church, people say, if I don't have a trip planned. Or if my son doesn't have a baseball game. And so out of four Sundays in a month, a typical Christian family in America might only attend church one or two times. And this is a Christian family that claims they follow Jesus as their supreme Lord, that he is, takes absolute first place in their life. And this isn't even touching on subjects of attending Sunday school or studying the Bible, where you really dive deep in your faith or serving or your prayer life, or tithing, which is supposed to be giving 10% of your income as the minimum starting place of supporting the work of God's kingdom. Nor is it even touching on the, 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 the themes of living Christian values in a secular world. And of course, many will say, well, preacher, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian and just because you aren't sitting in the pew every Sunday doesn't mean you aren't focusing on your relationship with God. And theoretically, that's true. But what are you doing? If you are not going to church, how much time are you focusing really on your walk with Christ? For the average person in America who claims to be a Christian but doesn't attend church, because they can be a Christian and not attend church. How are you staying focused? How are you being accountable? Who's holding you accountable? What are you doing on, your, on a daily and weekly basis to worship, to serve, to fellowship with other believers? To dive deeper and deeper into the most important uh, elements of a relationship with God. To fulfill what you were created to do. Where, and where is the road you are currently traveling leading you? Where is it leading your community? Where is it leading the next generation? Do you think your children and grandchildren are going to continue to be focused on God and Christian values? The values that you say are very important to you and to your world. Things like love and forgiveness and patience. Is the next generation going to care about that? If you don't even care about worshiping the Lord in his church. Usually it isn't until people experience some crisis or tragedy that they regain some of their focus on God and his church. Nothing gets people praying and seeking God's help like a diagnosis of cancer or a financial disaster. But when life is good and our bellies are full, we don't want to celebrate and worship the Lord. We want to go have fun. 
We want to go do whatever we want to do. And God is extremely patient with us. He gives us our blessings and he puts up with us while we ignore him. He patiently waits for us to come to our senses, either because of a disaster or because of an epiphany, when we realize we've been treating God like this younger son treated his father in the story. We didn't really care about God. We just cared about what he could do for us, what he could give us. <clears throat> and ultimately, if, if we may not even have been conscious about this attitude in our heart, but really, we didn't even care if God existed. Just so long as we're happy and we have what we want and what we need, be just fine if God would just go away and we just take what we our inheritance now and live our life however we wanted without having to worry about him. Jesus goes on in the story. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted his money in wild living. About the time the money, his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring him the finest robe in the house and put it on him, and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we are, we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine who was dead, and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. And in case you didn't know, this story is about God and us. The father in the story is God, and the son who ran away and then returned home represents a lot of people in this world who turn their back on God. The father in the story, God, is able to welcome his wayward son home because he is extremely patient. You see, the father wasn't bad-mouthing his son and fussing about him the whole time he was away. He continued to love his son, even though his son had done what he'd done, even though his son didn't deserve it. If the father wasn't patient, 
he would be much more apt to be angry when his son returned. He would be much more prone to say, I told you so. I knew you were going to come crawling back. I knew this was going to happen. But we see none of that in this story. The father sees his son coming, and while he's still way off, a long way away, he comes running out to greet his son and to welcome him home. And there's no hint of anger, no hint of I told you so or vindication in his attitude. The father loves the son, and he is sincerely, genuinely glad that the wayward son has come home. That's the kind of patience we're called to have with one another. You see, that is truly what the world needs today. Love is patient. And love that patient when people don't do the right thing is what we need. Not an attitude of, see, I told you I was right and you were wrong. That's the attitude that the brother, unfortunately, had. That mean-spirited older brother, the so-called good brother. Going on in the story, Jesus says, Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, And we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate. By killing the fattened calf. See, the older brother is not like the father. He has no patience for his younger brother's foolishness. And he is angry, not just at his brother, but also at his father. There's no love in his heart. In fact, if you think about it, you could say he hates his brother. What does he want? What did he want to happen? Would he have preferred that his younger brother died of starvation while he was still off in the foreign land living the way he was living? That's what it seems like. When you think of people with which you've lost patience for one reason or another, what do you want for them? Do you really want them to get what they deserve? Would you like to be there wagging your finger at them saying, I told you so, I told you this was going to happen. You should have listened to me. You should have lived the way I lived. What about the people of this world who don't believe in Christ, don't follow him? Don't submit to him as Lord and Savior. Do you want to see them getting what they deserve? Do you want to laugh at them when you see them get what's coming to them? Because they didn't do the right thing. They weren't like you. They weren't a good person. 
That's not patience. That's not love. His father told him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. When Jesus told this story, he wisely didn't tell us how it ends. He didn't tell us whether the brother finally got it. He doesn't tell us whether the brother continued to stay outside angry or whether he decided to get with the program and come in to the party. We don't know if he ever came to his senses and realized that he was being unloving just as much at fault as his younger brother who was so rash. Jesus doesn't tell us the end of the story because you and I are the ones who finish it. We finish it by how we choose to live. And God patiently waits. How will you respond today? Do you need to come to your senses and start truly putting God first in your life rather than just saying that he is? Or do you need to come to your senses and repent of your own smugness, realizing you're no better than anybody else? Or do you need to learn to truly love people by being more patient with them, kind of like God is with you?